Grace, mercy, and peace to you in the name of our risen Lord, Savior Christ. Amen. So today is a special day, uh, the day of Pentecost. We, uh, we've got uh, bright red pyramids and banners and halo lights all celebrating. Gary's got a red tie. Uh, we've got uh, this uh, exciting day, uh, a major celebration on the church calendar that's really special in a lot of ways. And that's part of why uh, it's really easily misunderstood, as I said at the beginning of service, that there's so much going on uh, that it's easy to lose track of the central thing, the fundamental thing, and get caught up in some of the window dressing. Uh, So today we're going to especially uh, deal with the the foundations, the the core, uh, the heart and soul of, uh, of what Pentecost is, not to necessarily marginalize some of the side things, but to make sure we're grounded to really know what to connect those side things to. And it starts by recognizing that the day of Pentecost is special, but not unique. And that's a, a maybe a subtle distinction, but it's, it's special, but not unique Uh, It's really a continuation uh, of God's ongoing work uh, that uh, is in harmony and coherence with what God has done throughout time amongst his people. And that's important because God is a God of order and God does things in an orderly way. That's how we recognize his hand at work because he works according to a, a plan. And we can see that Pentecost really just fits into his plan as a, another manifestation of his routine way of working. And the fact that Pentecost actually kind of took place for the first time, not in our lesson from Acts, but in our Old Testament lesson. Did you notice the similarity between the two? And then in the book of Numbers, way back in the time of Moses during the Exodus, God is pouring out his spirit on his people, and they respond by prophesying. And it's actually not a new phenomenon in the life of the disciples themselves either, uh, that uh, they're not receiving the Holy Spirit for the first time here. Uh, the... Uh, John chapter 20, after Jesus' resurrection, he appears to them in the upper room and he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. Whoever sins you forgive, they are forgiven, and so on. Uh, That he'd already blessed them with the the Holy Spirit. The worship of Jesus and the building up of the, the church in the New Testament as a Uh, a body of faith in Jesus as the Christ, didn't begin on Pentecost either, really. Uh, That uh, the worship of Jesus began back in the Gospels during his ministry. Uh, Thomas, after the resurrection and before the ascension, uh, worships Jesus and says, my Lord and my God. Before that, even Peter got it right for once, Uh, when it was revealed to him, not by flesh and blood, but by the Father, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And Peter gave witness to that. 
The disciples worshipped Jesus after he calmed the storm on the Sea of Galilee. That's not the, the beginning of Christian worship on Pentecost either. And sometimes you'll maybe hear Pentecost referred to as the birthday of the church. And that may be accurate in a way, but it's not the birth of the church. And God's people have belonged to him and been called by him since the very beginning, way back in the Old Testament. Uh, Jesus has again centered that community around himself by calling the disciples. And the Holy Spirit has been granted to God's people in the Old Testament and in the Gospels as well. Uh, Pentecost is maybe the birthday of the church, but it's not the birth of the church. It's another manifestation of God's creative work. Well, you can maybe think of it as a 10th birthday uh, or the 13th birthday, sweet 16 or something like that. One of those milestones because it is a milestone, an 18th birthday or a 21st birthday where the church can buy alcohol, but they're not drunk like the people thought. Uh, it is, a, it is a milestone. Uh, it's a transition uh, where you can actually look at Pentecost in some ways as the end of the beginning of God's story. Or uh, from the flip side is the beginning of the end in God's story. Uh, you can, if you want to look at it as the end of the beginning, you can notice how the day of Pentecost is an Old Testament feast. And the disciples were there in Jerusalem because Jesus told them to stay in Jerusalem until they were clothed with power from on high uh, before he ascended. But all those other people, the Phrygians and the Pamphylians and the Cappadocians and the Cretans and Arabs and so on and so forth, with, which Darren pronounced admirably, uh, they were there because this was one of the routine pilgrimages of the Jewish people uh, that God had prescribed through Moses as part of the Sinai covenant way back then during the Exodus. And ever since then, apart from the Babylonian captivity, uh, God's people had been making that pilgrimage on uh, Pentecost, as it came to be known in Greek, meaning 50 days, uh, for what was back in the Old Testament, called the Feast of Weeks, uh, because it was defined as seven weeks after Passover, uh, a a week of weeks after the Passover. And that, uh, that gathering was to worship God and give thanks to Him for the spring harvest, as they brought the first fruits to celebrate the abundance of God's provision for them. And that adherence to the the Old Testament uh, worship code was still part of the early church at that time as the disciples were meeting in the temple day by day uh, because it still existed. Uh, But it was coming to an end. Uh, The temple would be destroyed not 40 years later and that would kind of put a kibosh on a lot of the temple worship liturgy uh, but already we're seeing the, the feasts of, and festivals of the Old Testament come to a fulfillment. Just like Jesus had done with the Passover. 
as he turned that Passover meal at the Last Supper into the Lord's Supper. Do this in remembrance of me, no longer in remembrance of the Exodus, no longer in remembrance of the Passover. Do this in remembrance of Christ's Passover, the Passover lamb who was slain to take away the sins of the world. Jesus fulfills the Passover, and then 50 days later, the Holy Spirit fulfills the Feast of Weeks by bringing in a harvest himself, not of wheat or barley, but of people. As 3,000 people were saved on that day, coming to faith in Jesus. And the Holy Spirit reinterprets the celebration of Pentecost uh, to make it a, a celebration of God's provision for his church as he brings in a, a harvest of his people. The fulfillment of the Old Testament feast, like I said, is just half of the picture, though. As you flip that over, you can also see Pentecost as uh, the beginning of the end, a foreshadowing or a foretaste of the feast to come. In that, uh, in Paul or uh, Peter's sermon, uh, makes very clear as he applies the words of the prophet Joel, in the last days, God will pour out his spirit on all flesh. In the last days, uh, the beginning introduction to his sermon is to tell them, the end is coming, guys. This is the beginning of the end where we're looking ahead. God has now poured out his spirit and has brought in the last days, the end times, a time for us to prepare for the fulfillment of all things, the conclusion of all things, and the feast to come, the great marriage feast of the Lamb in his kingdom, which will have no end. And you can see in Pentecost that wonderful dual image of the Old Testament feasts coming to fulfillment and the foretaste of the feast to come. Again, as a very seamless part of that continuum of God's revelation of himself to his people through his word. It's not a unique uh, event, but it is a special and and awesome milestone uh, to see God doing the same thing he always does in in a especially powerful way, kicking it up a notch and ratcheting up the intensity to draw us that much closer to the climax, the pinnacle of Christ's coming again in glory. As exciting as that is, uh, the second thing about uh, Pentecost is that it's typically not as exciting as we kind of want it to be. Uh, or not exciting in the way we think it should be. 
It's easy to key in on the cool stuff and, and normalize that and try to, to make that the central feature. Oh, look at the, the tongues of fire and the powerful wind and uh, all these people come into faith. Uh, I was actually joking with Jimbo before the service. He asked if I had any sermon slides. He said, slides? It's Pentecost. I don't have a sermon. I'm just going to freewheel it dancing down the aisles. Uh, because that's sometimes what, how we like to think of Pentecost, right? Get the Spirit moving. But is that what it actually looks like for the Spirit to move? Is that what defines spiritual energy and the Holy Spirit's work? When you actually dig down to it, the the defining characteristic that really identifies it as Pentecost, that identifies it as the Holy Spirit, is how the Holy Spirit is proclaiming God's word of law and gospel, repentance of sins, and faith in the promises of Jesus Christ. That's the Holy Spirit at work. That's what's happening at Pentecost. Uh, that defines the work of the Holy Spirit for us. As we uh, hear uh, Peter's preaching and uh, in the Sunday to come, we'll we'll continue to hear that because it's a a lengthier passage. But going back to our prior passage last week in Acts chapter 1 also helps kind of illuminate uh, our perception and reaction to that, our expectation of it. Uh, the disciples are gathered together, uh, waiting there in Jerusalem like Jesus told them. And what do they do? How do they kill time? Well, Peter gets up, and being Peter, you know he's going to say something. And says, hey, we got to pick another apostle. We're short one, because Judas was a jerk. And so, what do they do? They pull out their holy Ouija board and say, let's cast lots and the Holy Spirit will tell us what God wants. I'm maybe being a little coarse or dramatic calling it a holy Ouija board sort of interaction. But what are they doing? They're trying to divine God's will. They want to know what God is going to do. So they say, let's do it right now, God. Tell us now what what your plan is. And the lot fell on Matthias. Now, did God tell them that Matthias was the one he had chosen to replace Judas? Maybe. I think it's interesting that the text doesn't actually say that. That the text doesn't say, and God chose Matthias. And God uh, ordained that Matthias would be the one. It just says, the lot fell on Matthias. That could be because God arranged it that way, or it could be because the lot had to fall somewhere. We don't know. That's the thing. When you ask for signs like that, you don't know. You never know. Is that God's answer, or is that just something had to happen? I think it's interesting, actually, if you uh, contextualize it in the whole book of Acts, that when chapter 9 rolls around, we hear about God calling this guy named Saul of Tarsus. And over half of the book, 
of Acts is actually about God spreading his gospel through this apostle Paul, who God himself identifies to Ananias as my chosen instrument to proclaim my word to the Gentiles. Right? God had a chosen instrument, a, a chosen apostle, who he would choose in his time and in his way, which isn't to say necessarily that Matthias wasn't also chosen by God. We don't know. But we know when the Holy Spirit speaks. When the Holy Spirit speaks, we do know. Because the Holy Spirit doesn't speak in ambiguous circumstances and coincidental events. The Holy Spirit shows how he speaks in Acts chapter 2. And the disciples in Acts chapter 1 wanted the Holy Spirit to tell them what they wanted to know, when they wanted to know it, in the way that they thought he should tell them. But when the Holy Spirit actually shows up in Acts chapter 2, what happens? Peter starts quoting Scripture. Quoting Scripture. You notice that's what Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit and begins a reading from the prophet Joel, the second chapter. Can't get any more Pentecostal than that, right? Well, I mean, literally you can't. That's what happened on Pentecost. That's as Pentecostal as it gets in the real literal sense of it is quoting God's word. The Holy Spirit preaching through the scriptures, saying, listen to what I have told you. And he's sharing through scripture, and he's sharing about Jesus. We don't actually get to that part of it in our our lesson uh, today. Like I said, uh, Peter's sermon goes on. Uh, But he continues to point them to Jesus. This Jesus whom you crucified, God has made him both Lord and God. And that's what the Holy Spirit is always talking about. The Holy Spirit is always pointing us to Jesus. The Holy Spirit doesn't shut up about Jesus. It's like that guy at work, you know, who, who only has one topic of conversation that he knows to, to talk about. And you, oh my goodness, it, it's, what's his name? He's going to talk about fishing, or he's going to talk about cars, or he's going to talk about the NFL. I just know it. The Holy Spirit does the same thing with Jesus. He's talking about Jesus. Because there's no other name under heaven by which man may be saved. There's no other way to the Father except through him. When the Holy Spirit talks, he's talking about Jesus. Not what kind of car you should buy. Not what kind of shoes you should wear. He's talking about Jesus. That is uh, the heart and soul and, and point of all the Holy Spirit's interaction with us is to bring us to Jesus because what else is there what other point is there and he's speaking clearly the uh, 
the text refers to it as speaking in tongues, uh, which is uh, an accurate translation based on the uh, historic use of the word tongue as language, uh, that they're speaking in other languages. It's a little bit unfortunate because the phenomenon of speaking in tongues is something we think of differently in the contemporary church. But again, you, you look at Acts chapter 2, and you can read it. That's a kind of obvious point, but one not to overlook is that Acts chapter 2 isn't just untranslatable and untranslated gibberish. It's clear, coherent preaching of Christ. Because that's what the Holy Spirit does. Clearly and coherently pointing us to Christ. That's what makes Pentecost such a special day. It's not because it's about things that we think are special or cool, but because it's God doing things that he thinks is special and cool. Namely, reaching out to his people, sharing with them the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ, who has suffered and died for our sins and risen from the dead so that we too can rise with him uh, to newness of life. We're sometimes tempted to think of the reading of Scripture uh, and the proclamation of the gospel as mundane or ordinary. It happens every Sunday. But it's actually extraordinary. It's the Holy Spirit at work pouring out the, the heart and mind of God into our ears filling us up with God's love as he tells us again and again, which is all the more special because he so faithfully and continually repeats it to us. That wonderful good news that God has chosen you. God has chosen you, even unworthy you, by speaking to you the truth of his love in Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. That's one of the more, most amazing things about it, and I know I have to wrap it up because I'm going on and on, but uh, I have to uh, just tie into it. Pastor's wonderful sermon uh, last week, as uh, he talked about that idea of being chosen and how significant that is, uh, that that continues into our, our texts today. As I, I mentioned, where we are going to see in Acts uh, how God chose Paul to be an apostle. Uh, you think about Justice and Matthias. Oh, you know, boy, I hope he chooses me. Am I, am I really worthy of being an apostle? Paul wasn't even on the ballot. And for good reason, because he was too busy throwing Christians in prison. If he had been on the ballot, no one would have shown up at the meeting. Because nobody wants Paul to be a part of anything in the church, much less an apostle. And who does God pick? Paul, the persecutor, the enemy of the church. Say, I choose you, and I will pour out my Holy Spirit on you, and I will fill you with my word, and you will... Share that with others. In our Old Testament lesson, we heard uh, of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the, uh, the 70 elders of Israel. Even Eldad and Medad, they didn't go to church. 
They didn't show up to the meeting. Ah, forget it. It's probably not important. Nothing's been going to go on. I've heard all Moses' shtick before. I've got, some, I've got something else to do. I've got to mow the desert. Uh, the, and yet, God doesn't let him get away. He says, I've chosen you. And I'm going to pour out my spirit on you. And you're going to hear my word. And you're going to share my word. God has chosen you too. God has poured out his spirit on you. To hear the glorious gospel of his saving love for you. Uh, That he has loved you enough to die for you. And is powerful enough Uh, to overcome death uh, for you. And he's given you that gospel uh, to hold in your heart and to share through your mouth, uh, to cherish it so deeply that it overflows out of you, and to spread the word uh, to all peoples and all nations as we see in Pentecost. Uh, This is a message to go out. That all, all people uh, can receive that wonderful gift as well. That same gift that God has given you. And may that peace that is beyond all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus until the day of his glorious return. Amen.